All right, guys, so welcome to the Black Pill Radio. I'm your host, Tyler, and today we have an interesting topic. We're going to be talking about gun violence in America, and I have on a panel four moms who have experienced a loss of a child due to gun violence. So I'm just going to go around the table and have them introduce themselves, and then we'll get started. So we'll, we'll start with you. My name is Maxine Lewis. I'm the mother of 16-year-old Colton Luxley-Bennett, who was shot and killed for a gold chain. My name is Diana Alvarado. I am the mother of Samantha Guzman, who was murdered on Mother's Day in 2006. My name is Alice McKay. My son, Cameron McKay, was ambushed sitting in a parked car in June 2014, Brownsville, Brooklyn, New York. My name is Natasha Christopher. I'm the mother of the late Akil Christopher, who was shot whilst walking home from a high school graduation party in 2012. Okay, so obviously these ladies have experienced the tragedy, and we definitely want to talk about it today. We also want to talk about some of the reasons a lot of this gun violence is happening in America. We want to talk about gun control. We want to talk about what our politicians are doing, what our community is doing, what we are doing as parents and families in the household with these teens and some of these young adults that are out here committing these crimes. And then lastly, we want to talk about solutions and remedies to fix these issues. So I'm going to start with Diana. If you can briefly just kind of describe what happened, what your situation was like, how did that make you feel, did you receive justice, kind of give the audience a view of where you're at right now. My daughter was murdered on Mother's Day in 2006. Um, Supposedly she was walking home to take the bus to get home. And there was uh, a situation that went down and there was someone getting beat up and supposedly the thugs broke up that and went and asked for my daughter for money and she was shot and killed. Mm. I have no justice as of yet. We are still waiting for justice. I just recently found out that she was murdered by New York's most dangerous gang. Okay, so were there witnesses to this murder and people are just not speaking up? Yeah, there were plenty of witnesses out that day, but no one is speaking. And this happened in a community that she lives in? No. Okay. All right, so let me take this to Maxine. And Maxine, can you briefly describe where you're at right now and how did you get to this place? That's a hard question of where I am because it had been 23 years. In fact, tomorrow the 6th, will be 24 years, and um, at times I feel like it is just happening or it just happened. So there is not a time frame. I'm coping better. I'm doing different things in terms of starting a foundation in his his memory, Carlton Locks-The Bennett Foundation. So time give you a coping strategy, so to speak, but your pain, your anger sometimes, and that loneliness of missing your child comes back and overfloods you and puts you in certain places that you wonder how you get to this place from the other place you were before. Right. So in your, in your situation, was there any justice? You know, when you asked Diane that question, I wonder what is justice? And I did think, what is justice? 
Um, if you are referring to the young man that killed my son, yes, he was um, three years later. He was arrested and convicted. Um, is that justice? I believe by now he's out, but my son is still dead. So where is the justice? Is it in the person being arrested or me getting back my son, which I can't? So I don't know if there's a justice there. That's how I look at it. Okay, and you do make a good point about what is justice, and we'll, we'll talk about that later in the show. So I would like to throw it to Miss Alice. Um, can you briefly describe how did you get to this place? Well, with a lot of prayers and support, family, community, church, and coworkers, actually, very supportive. Okay, can, can you, if you're comfortable, can you tell us about what happened to your child? It was um, May 18th, 2014, a Sunday afternoon, 3 p.m., people leaving church. Uh, an assailant, the assailant came from around a corner and shot into a parked car that my son was sitting in at the driver's seat. There were two other young men there. One was wounded in the leg. He's fine. My son sustained the most and um, most injuries, which he lived for 18 days and subsequently succumbed to post-surgical problems uh, a week and a half before his 22nd birthday. Okay, so did the police arrest anybody? Has anybody been charged with the crime? Still unsolved. Still no unsolved. movement at all in his case. All right, and that's unfortunate. And last but not least, Miss Natasha, can you as well tell us what, what happened with your situation? I received a phone call that my 14-year-old son, Aki, was shot. I would never think that I would be a mother who would be experiencing this type of pain. I arrived at Brookdale Hospital to see my 14-year-old son laying on the bed with a bullet in the back of his head. He survived for 14 days and then died on his 15th birthday, July 10, 2012. And as, to, as of today, no one has ever been apprehended. Hmm. So it looks like out of the four ladies, three people have not had anyone been, I guess, charged, arrested. Definitely no one has served jail time. Um, why is that? Because I know in some of your situations, it happened when there was a lot of people around, yet Nobody's speaking? Is that the problem? For me, my son was with several people that night when he was walking home. Several kids that night, including a family member. And when my son got shot, nobody st stuck around to help him. Everybody ran away. And everybody has been on mute, including a, including a family member. Everybody just went on mute and pretended that they weren't with him that night. And is that the same for you? Well, for me, I believe that my daughter's murder was not an accident. It was more like a setup, but I don't have proof of that. And the little girl that was with her, the, the her best friend, she knows a lot more than what she's saying, but she's afraid because my daughter was murdered by New York's most dangerous gang, so. Okay, and, and what about you, Alice? Well, in the hood, snitches get stitches, and I believe that's the street code that most of the children that survive these incidents, even though it taints their lives, they still have to live in those communities. So um, I'm, 
kind of on the fence about it because not until it happens to you is it really relevant. But at the same time, there's no witness protection programs for our people in our communities. So it's just another shooting. It's just another black-on-black crime, some people call it. Or, you know, I call it a hate crime because you're hating on yourselves. All right, so Maxine, I want to ask you, since your your son's assailant was captured, was that a situation where people dropped the tip, somebody spoke out, there was witnesses who came forward, or did he get captured some other way? The, the funny part of this is when my son was murdered, I wasn't even thinking of who did it at the time um, because my pain was so devastating, was so I couldn't even think about that. So I kind of block it in my head. I didn't ask question in um, certain question I didn't ask. But I know three years later, I got a phone call from the DA's office. Um, my son was murdered in the Bronx. So three years later, I felt that my life was going pretty good because I blocked it out. And I got a phone call from the DA's office saying that they apprehended someone. Um, during court and after the trial, I found out that the same person that they had spoken to or who they had in custody at the time was the same person three years later that got arrested and was charged with the crime. The good part or the funny part is that the same person that they had um, to give evidence refused to speak. Now, that was the friend of the shooter. Can you believe that? That was the friend of the shooter. So three years later, I guess maybe God spoke to him or something. Um, Whatever the DA's office was doing, they were really pushing at it. And um, they apprehended the same two people went back in. And finally, the young man that gave evidence was there with the shooter. So exactly what happened? and was able to tell his story, exactly what he saw, what was done to my son. So we have somebody who came forward. So we have four ladies sitting in the room, and three, in three cases, no one has come forward. That's 75%. So if we would just take this little sample pool, we would be saying 75% of the people out there don't come forward. They don't speak up. They don't tell what they heard. They don't drop anonymous tips, maybe. Why is that? I know... Rosalind mentioned uh, snitches. I'm sorry, Alice mentioned snitches get stitches, but is that the only reason why people are not coming forward? What do you guys think about that? I believe the reason why people don't come forward is because they're afraid. It's, it's, we're dealing with gang members in these streets and the, the code of silence, you understand me? And no one wants to come forward, no one wants to speak, no one wants to you know, get rid of the garbage in the community. So without other people's help, we're never going to get our justice. Okay, but isn't it a mentality in the community that these kids are raised that way, that snitches get stitches, and I don't talk because I'm afraid, uh, afraid of what? How many gang members are there versus the community, versus neighboring communities, versus the police force, versus other law enforcement agencies? Like, you say the people have the power, but it seems like we don't. It seems like we allow the gang members to have the power. And then the question comes up, well, who are raising these gang members? Like, who's educating these kids? 
or not educating these kids, but where are they getting this information from? So what do you guys think about that? I think they're getting them from older men that are been in gang members, and they are using our younger generations to do dirty work for them. That's my thinking. So you think the kids are hanging around older men? Oh, yeah. All right, so as parents, are we allowing our kids to hang around these older men? Some some parents are. Okay. Not all, not everybody, but. So is it a parenting issue then? Um. Most of the time, the situation, most of the time, the situation is a parent issue. Um, I'm a single mom who had three young black men, but my children was always the most important thing to me. You know, um, I put them first. They come first. I choose them. You know, I wasn't born here. I was born in the West Indies, and the village helped raise me, so I taught the village was going to help raise my kids. And when my son was murdered, the same village turned their back. And the same village that said they loved this child turned their back on this child and pretend that they didn't know anything. So somewhere along the line, these young people, someone failed them. But we have to also hold the parents accountable. You know, we, yes, we can blame society, but the parents are also accountable for their own children. Okay, so the, I agree with you, by the way. So, Alice, what is your take on this? As somebody who was raised here and I've lived the village as a community, I actually had a Crooklyn lifestyle. You know, friends, family, neighbors, everybody coming together to support one another and raise children to help, you know, working single moms babysit. I'll take your kid to school, you go to work. You know, I have to go to work, you watch my kid at night. So these things were concurrent, you know, and it's just natural. My we, my grandmother grew up in the project, Brownsville houses. She never locked her door. She lived on the first floor. People didn't even have to knock. They just turned Miss Alice's door and they come in, you know, and she raised correction officers, children. She babysat $20 a month, you know, <laughs> just so that they can meet their, meet their ends, you know, and I think a lot of it now is that because you know, with the good and the bad, we have come from a place where a lot of jobs weren't available to us. Me, having been a, a single mom twice, divorced, raising first a young lady, you know, and then second marriage, a son and a daughter. From that marriage, I had to leave. They were latchkey kids. I had to leave at 6 o'clock in the morning, and my kids had to lock the door so that they can get to school on time. You understand? And then coming home in the evening, I mean, my grandparents helped me, but my mom is still young enough. She's 74. God bless her. She's still working. You know, so that whole thing about achieving and excelling, some things always get left behind. And I feel like for that, it might have been our children on a certain level. Our communities got stripped of community centers you know, activities for the schools, begin after school. All of these things have been cut. So what do they do? They go in the park on a summer day. They go in the park on a summer day. You can't stay in the park after dusk. So they're playing basketball. One PSA, two, you know, housing police says, oh, it's okay, finish your game. 73rd comes and arrests everybody. So it's like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're standing in front of the building, you're loitering. You're obstructing. So, I mean, these things, bike lanes in the hood now, it's not for us. 
they were generating revenue, giving our young teenage boys and women, some females, summonses for riding bicycles on the, on the sidewalk when nobody was in danger, not recklessly, but because that was the activity that they chose to do. Now they've taken it to another place, bike lanes in the hood. Thank you. So Alice is talking about the kids in the community being targeted by police, law enforcement. But I want to throw it back to responsibility, right? Because we're going to get into some of the other stakeholders in our community who may not be living up to the billing. Like we have a lot of churches in the community, mm-hmm. right? We talked about the schools, the after-school programs that are being cut. That's from our local representatives who represent our community. So those are other people that we have to deal with as well. So the key, though, is parental responsibility. So, Maxine, I would like to ask you, um, what's what's the greatest concern in our community? Is it that parents aren't doing the best that they can, or is it not so much that and that we have other other issues that affect what's going on with the crime rate in the community? I believe that some parents are trying real hard. But again, I believe the peer pressure is out there that affect the children. And they're going to want to follow what they're seeing to be cool. So mom, grandma, whoever is in the home is trying their best in everything, you know, bringing them to church, teaching them, encouraging them, and they will walk through that door as the good kid, and they walk out and they meet their friends, and everything change. Everything change because they want to fit in. They have to fit in. What their friend is doing, they want to do it. Because if they don't do it, then they are not part of the norm or they are a chicken or whatever. I know a young man, and he's in my program, and he was bullied right to to um, elementary school. I didn't even know people could be bullied in elementary school. And he was being bullied because he didn't, wear the same thing he didn't act the same way he didn't have to curse in it, it out there and when when it come to classwork he shows that he was doing it he wanted he wanted to make that difference but he was picked on all the time he was bullied not only by boys but also by girls so again the kids get that pressure from the other kids so yes go ahead i need to add something to that too but um, when it comes to, um, you said responsibility, when it comes to responsibility, again, I, again, I keep saying somebody failed these young people along, you know, along the way. And when did parents decide to become their children's friend? You're not your children's friend. I live on a block, and when I pass by my block, there are mothers and fathers sitting down on their stoop, smoking and drinking with your teen children. Mm-hmm. When did you decide that you and your child or children are friends? You know, so these parents are also failing these children. You know what? I tell my kids all the time, you have to. And these kids have no respect. You have to give everybody's respect. I don't care who you don't like, but you will give everybody the respect because I demand that from my children. My children are not my friend. They don't pay no bills. And again, these parents are failing these kids. Life isn't easy. 
But we have to own up to our own responsibility mm-hmm. as parents. Our children didn't ask to be here. Mm-hmm. So where do fathers play? What role do fathers oh. play in all of this? Because oh. no, okay. um, Natasha just mentioned um, sitting on the stoop smoking weed with your father, with your parents. And she's the first one to mention fathers. I was waiting for somebody to bring that up. But I know we say parents, but let's be real. Like a lot of the fathers are not in the household. So what part do the the fathers not being in the household or not being in the child's life play in this crisis? I believe that that, that's the responsibility of the mother to make sure that the father is a part of the children's life. There's so much going on nowadays, so much competition in the streets. Um, For me, it it was easier because though my marriage failed with my girl's father, he was always there for my children. So I can never say that he wasn't the father figure because he was. He was a father figure and a provider. Um, but so much teenage pregnancies that's going on right now that these boys out there, they don't value the women like they used to or men value the women like they used to. So it's like so much broken marriages, so much. I, w- I raised my children single for a long time. I'm into my second failed marriage, and I'm like, Lord, you know what? I, I can't continue to do this. You know, I, I believe that some men really need to take more responsibility for their children. You know, we don't have to be there constantly begging their fathers to be in their life when they know they had a responsibility in the first place to be in their lives. So it, it comes with choice, right? We should be choosing men who are going to be there. We know divorce can happen, things can happen, but at the end of the day, even if we're not together, they should still want to be involved in their children's lives. But I think a lot of women, and some of them are young, they're having these kids young, they're choosing men who they know won't be there, right? In some of these cases, these men, it's just a jump-off situation, it's a hook-up situation. Some of these men have girlfriends. Some of these men have already established, they have kids that they don't take care of already, and these women are still having kids with them, and then they're raising these boys by themselves. And boys want to be around men and boys, right? So when there's no father there, they're going to go to the streets. Mm-hmm. And like you talked about with those older men, now they can scoop these little boys up and kind of mold them and groom them into what they want to be. And sometimes, it's most of the time, it's not a positive thing. And that's how we end up with a lot of these kids on the streets kind of running the streets. I still don't understand how we allow them to run our community because there's still a small fraction. So even though we have these issues right of men not being in kids being molded by these older guys on the streets it's still a small percentage of who's on these streets and we're a larger percentage in terms of our community and our neighboring communities so i don't understand why we can't control our communities can somebody answer that question and i'll definitely tell you why administration of children's services acs (laughs) that's why They have taken the power from the parents in the home and have given it to the children. So the children is telling you, if you touch me, I will call the cops. If you do anything to me, I will. You cannot tell me anything. How do I know this? Because I'm a social worker. I've worked in the the child welfare. I have also known people that have had foster children and have adopted children. And I've known people, including myself, that have their own biological children. So that's what it is. 
ACS has given this power. I've seen them going into the house and take out children because those children says, my mother or my father hit me. And they do go in and they do take them out. My mother didn't give me any food or my my in fact I know of someone that when the daughter came up from the Caribbean and was in the father was saying, No, you can't be doing this, you can't be doing that, you can't be hanging out until you know what that child did? That child told someone, I guess her teacher, my father's molesting mm. me. And they removed that child from that home. Um, and that was that. So a lot of the kids get the power to make the decision in the home. I know someone that has is raising her grandchildren, and she's trying the best, the best. But these kids will tell her what they want to do, and they will walk out that house and say, you know, I can call the cops. That's it. ACS. All right. So Maxine Sanders, <laughs> ACS is is the major problem. Does somebody have a? For me, I think they do play a part, but I don't think that ACS is the full problem. Again, my parenting skills works like this. Okay. I tell my son all the time that let me tell you something. You ain't never got to call ACS from for me because I'll beat you and drop you off right in front of ACS office. You don't pay <laughs> no bills, okay? My thing is if you think ACS is going to provide you with four meals or six meals per day, then try it. My get, uh, again, you know, it's love. You know, it's what you do as a parent. I give my children love. I try to provide them with positive role models and my thing is always trying to instill good values in them and we have to step up as a parent again i'm a single mother my children do have their fathers in their life but again you cannot teach a man how to be a father you know you don't know what happened in his past with him and his dad so but you cannot teach a man how to be a father but my thing is i won't stop what I'm doing, my job is to always be the best mother that I can be for my children. And I can't teach my children how to be a man. So that's why I'm always trying to find positive role models for my boys. So when we talk about positive role models, we can be talking about your parishioners, people who are in the church. Mm -hmm. And it seems like there's a church in every black neighborhood. And we all live in black neighborhoods. Several churches. Right. But are the churches holding up their part? in terms of being active in a community with our youth. Do, does our youth have to go to the church in order to get the resources and the help, or is the church coming out into the community and providing these resources and help? What, what is going on with our churches? Our churches is not doing much. I, I could be of, of a person, I could tell you, these pastors needs to come out a little bit more out of the four walls. They expect people to bring other people to their churches, but they're not out there reaching out these people. You know, we are supposed to be the light of the world. And how are we the light of the world? We're not out there doing what we're supposed to be doing. And a lot of these pastors, they really don't really care, but for the 10% that they're getting. And it, it really needs to, they, the whole body, because this is whole whole body. We're not talking about just the church. I'm talking about police officers. There's about a, a bunch of cops that are crooked. You understand me? And I, for a fact, experienced something last year. I, I live in a, in a place, and I have, um, my landlord is a cop. 
and her husband just got arrested for running a prostitution ring. So how, how am I supposed to look at this picture? You understand me? Because it seems to me that there's a lot of issues going on in our community that is not being addressed. And I mean, my children, I could say they're not the worst children. And I did a pretty good job raising my children. They all, they, I'm a grandmother of 11 grandchildren. So you know what? My children are doing their job now with their parents, with, with their partners to raise my grandchildren. And you know, I always told my children that um, if you're going to find someone, you better make sure that this is the right, the right person for you. You know, someone that's going to be there for you and your children, not someone that's going to be there just temporarily and then just leave you with your children. You know, so far it's okay. And it's, it's just difficult because there's so much going on. It's not only, it's, it's a lot of things going on. It's, a, it's different things. It's, 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 it's a lot of things going on behind closed doors that people don't know about. So we really don't know what's going on in everybody's household. We don't know the mentality of everyone. But there are a lot of sick people out there, really. So you mentioned your community. So we talk about our neighbors. Do we have good neighbors? Like, are our neighbors active in our children's lives? Like we said, it takes a village. It does. Um, is the village working? Well, I know I was part of the village once, once upon a time. My children are all grown. So now, when they were younger... I, I used to play my part, and I had other p- people's children come to my house. I had other people. I raised other people's children. Basically, I wouldn't allow my children to stay anywhere. But if they wanted to have company, they could have company in my house where I knew what they were doing at all times. A lot of the parents nowadays, like Natasha was saying, they became friends with their with their children. They want to drink. They want to get high with these kids. You understand me? So, you know, it, it, it all depends on the parenting of the of the parents. You know, like last night, last night when I was home and I was sitting up late at night, I said something to myself, and this just popped into my head. I said, when are we going to break the cycle? When are we going to break the cycle? Because the cycle is going to break us. You know, it's like we just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and and expecting change. You know, gun violence has been happening before Miss Maxine's son die, before Samantha die, before Akil die, before Cameron die. And what have we accomplished? What have we done? You know, we get mad, we get angry, but what have we really done? But we, Natasha, Holly's sons, and um, Diana, and many of the mothers that we come into, we are doing, we are doing a lot. You go out there every day, you speak on it, you go to schools, um, you and I have been to certain places, the same with Alice and Diana. We are doing something. We are doing something. Last year we had, Carlton Locksley Bennett Foundation had a um, leadership meet, leadership training for young people. We had 11, 10 young people that attended for four weeks of training on self-esteem, hunger management, conflict resolution, and team building. We had that. Um, Rashawn was one of them, that your, your son that attended. So we are doing something. 
yes, there are people out there want to, and there are people that's not. And one of the things that we didn't say to, I think some people are saying, you know what? It's not my business. It's not my business. <laughs> now I'm saying, do we have to wait for them to make it their business or we just continue to do what we are doing? Because we're the one that bury our, our children. We're the one that can't sleep at night. We're the one that go through the changes, driving our car, well, me, and saying to myself, oh, my God, is, is, is somebody coming up to shoot me mm-hmm. 23 years later? Y- you know, so we are doing some, something. We are doing a lot. You go to Washington, like, so very often to speak. We go to Washington to talk about what, to meet other parents, other mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters whose children are murdered. And I believe it may take long, but I believe that each time we stand up and talk, somebody's here and something will be done. It may not happen right now, but I believe it will be. And that's my belief. All right. So we've been talking and praying and holding vigils and marching and the, the crime is still happening. The crime is dropping every year. They say gun violence drops every year, so they say, but it's still happening, right? So are we holding the gun manufacturers responsible, parents responsible, school teachers responsible, our neighbors, our churches, other community organizations? Like at the end of the day, it, it's really not a drastic drop in crime, mm-hmm. right? And if you look at a city like Chicago, which, which I think it's, it's bigger than what they're, what they're saying. I think there's other elements that are causing crime out there amongst the black people. But, I mean, there's still a high murder rate in Chicago. There's still a high murder rate in New Orleans, right? So all this talking and all this stuff is good, but at the end of the day, I don't really see anything really happening. So I know you talked about the foundation, Maxine, that you run. What are other things that parents or some of the kids, the teens, the young adults can get involved in that will cause them to hopefully not, get on the streets, not be caught up in, in the money, the fast money, the cars, the girls, and that kind of thing, but maybe focus more on school, starting a business, you know, being a positive citizen. Um, what can we do to make that cool? One young man told me, um, based on, I attended this, I was working with this school in Bushwick, a high school, and a 17-year-old young man was shot and, um, and died. I attended the funeral service. The funeral service had about 90% teenagers that was mm-hmm. there. I've never seen mm-hmm. anything like that. Not even when I buried my son. I don't think I saw that. 90%. Um, due to my involvement with this high school, one of the things, I had to go into the school and speak um, bereavement. And, um, and also on gun violence. And these are some of the things that these young people says to me. They do not have, in fact, they say it starts from home. It starts in the school. What they get in the school, the friends they keep, where they go. Bottom line is who they associate themselves with. They don't have good friends in the sense of law-abiding friends. They are friends that drink curse. In fact, this young man said to me, my teacher curse, my, um, my friend's curse, my cousin curse, my neighbor curse, and when I go, my mother curses. That's what he's taught. Now, I believe that some of these kids need that special kind of love, honestly. 
in their heart. I believe that their heart is 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 full of hatred. I believe that there's not a love that comes from them and they are so hungry. Doesn't matter what, but I believe that if we nurture more, if we love more, if we give more, then we're going to reap something from these young people. And I've seen it. If we give them more, instead of we see them doing something on the street and we want to chastise them, give them a smile. You know, I've seen people, young men, wearing their pants falling off. And I go up and said, oh, your pants dropping off. You need a belt. And they laugh and just pull it, pull it up. But I know they walk on the block and it's still down there. But my point is they need that love. They need to say, you can't go out there and get a job looking like that, acting like that. What do you want? Are we talking to them? What do you want? What do you want? What's your goals? What's your dreams? And these are some of the things I personally believe that we should start saying it to these young people and see where it goes from there because I've got answers. I've gotten a lot of answers in terms of what where they want to go. Anybody have a different solution? Well, I would say I think of that old saying, you don't you can't do better if you don't know better. So my thing going back to parenting is um with all the organizations that are out and everybody's trying to, you know, move forward and enrich the community by representing their loved ones and so forth. I was thinking about what about the parents? Like, when I think about it, I'm a woman of a certain age. I had my second set of kids, and I was old, okay? Mm -hmm. A lot of the parents that I meet now and friends of my younger children are young parents. They may have, quote-unquote, been crack babies, you know, so that's that's systemic dysfunction right there. In order, you can't parent if you weren't parented. So my take on it was like, let's try to reach out to those young mothers mm-hmm. who make those choices. I'm a grown woman. I made tro- I made the choice, to Diana. She went twice. I went twice. You don't ever know that your fairy tale is not going to be happily ever after. You know, so when you make those choices, it all seems good when you're in it, but the course, life happens and things, people change, circumstances, ish, health, whatever, finances, everything, those things are up and down, and that can really deter someone or encourage someone to move forward in a different direction, a better direction. So I had thought in my head that maybe we need to start with meeting them at the place of birth. My son was born in Brookdale. He transitioned in Brookdale. So one day I'm at work and I'm going, what can I do to kind of help cover our community? And I'm like, well, he likes baseball caps. But I'm like, I can't give baseball caps out to everybody. So I'm a crafter. I knit and I crochet. So my take on it was like to meet the parent when they have these children and let them know that there are resources because a lot of it is not having the information most of the time. So I've knitted and crocheted 200-some hats. I'm going to try. Ms. Maxine gave me a contact number. I'm going to try to reach out to 
Brookdale, and we were at Wayside Church yesterday with one of the other mothers. Her son was 10 years, Ms. Aresia Napa-Williams, and she has an organization, Not Another Child. So there's things to do, and people are doing them. Man Up, um, what's the, GMAC. There's a lot of people out there doing the footwork. Yes. But we have to be more concentrated in our effort. We can't just pick, I want teenagers, okay, and I'm going to do the girls, and I'm going to do, you know, we have to start. We have to take it from the root. So my plan is to take it from the root and plant something into the parents' head, the moms. Maybe she could be a victim of domestic violence. And maybe she doesn't know anyway, so that child might have to raise themselves, you know, so to speak. And, you know, she's trapped. But that's my take on that is that we sometimes we just can't do better because we don't know better. And we have to try to make sure that our people get the information that they need and know the resources are out there. So there's a uh, radical thinking to that. So we can't do better if we don't know better. So if a child wasn't raised, you know, what we would consider a proper way, the right way, right? How can they raise another child the right way, the proper way? Right. So should that should that person be even allowed to have children? Well, we can't. We, we can't that we can't. Them. That's like building the Donald Trump wall. We can't do that. You well, know, I well, mean, in China they do <laughs> legislate how many children you can have. Right. So it, it can be done. You can never say nothing can. It can. Well, I mean, it, can. And, it could. But it ethically can, speaking, but it just seemed morally corrupt. Well, it's morally to corrupt that. to raise a child in poverty, multiple children, multiple baby daddies, have but, your kid out there on the street killing other kids. Say, That's morally incorrupt. And you would not want that person in your neighborhood. You would not want those children in your neighborhood. And you know you won't. Let me but tell you. If, but what if yeah. but what if what if the parent is the one who's corrupted and the children aren't? Because it's, it's situations mm-hmm. like that. You understand me where the where the Decent parents kids. are are all corrupted, but the children aren't. Mm-hmm. So you can't you can't. I I don't know how to, how to distinguish that because I can't. I mean, the person or the persons responsible for murdering my daughter, they should. They should have had a little bit of more common sense. You understand me? But they didn't. And they still chose to go out that day and beat up on someone. And because they didn't get what they wanted from that someone, they went into another group mm. and beat up on them. And I'm sure these people have children. I'm sure that these people are parents. I'm sure that they're teaching their children some of the moves that they're doing right, right about now. And, and for them, it seems like it's okay for them to go out there and shoot and kill people just just because. And you don't want those people living next to you, right? Oh, don't. All Again, right. it comes back, when are we going to break the cycle? Exactly. And we need to try some radical methods to, to help break that cycle because you're leaving it up to a woman and a man just to do whatever they want and they having all these kids. And I, I work with kids. I teach kids. And some of these kids are coming in and they're not very well. And the parents are not very well. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, the classroom would be a better place if these kids weren't there. Hence, the community would be a better place if these kids weren't there. Why do we keep allowing these kids and these parents to be there in the community? You know that little girl's wild. You know that little boy's wild. And you know they just made some kids. You know how that's going to turn out. That's how they know how to build jails. Because you know how it's going to turn out. You could just look at the grades when the parents don't come, the parent-teacher's night. These parents out there just for the wild ones, it just ain't doing their job. Right? Mm -hmm. So how many more of these type of parents are we going to allow women and men, are we going to allow to become parents? Well, right now, I, I'm not sure what to say because 
to be really honest, I just liked, like like I said, two years ago, I just found out that my daughter was murdered by New York's most dangerous gang. They call themselves more organized than the mafia. So what am I supposed to do? You understand me? I've done everything I possibly can to stand, to bring justice to my daughter. And still to today, that no one has come forward. Knowing that information has been given to the detective, you understand me? And nothing has been done. So, you know, I mean... If the people that don't want to speak because they they're afraid, what can we do to make you not afraid? You understand that you are truly hovering and and, and bringing and, and it's okay for you. So many people that out that night, the night that my daughter was murdered, it, it's on surveillance camera, and you mean to tell me no one saw nothing? But you're talking about what happened. What I'm speaking about is prevention. I'm trying to make that not happen. So you got to be proactive. So, I, so how do we be proactive so we don't get to that point? What I what I what I did this past year, I joined a group of moms. It's called Mass Mothers Against Census Killing. And what we do is, and on the weekends, we go out through our communities, and we give out to parents. We know where to go to the projects to low-income people that don't have the fundings, the money, to go and provide activities for their children. So we give them information where they can go for the summertime, have activity done for all the children, low cost or, or free. That's the solution. And, you know, be out there. And, you know, and I go out doing it just because my daughter was murdered. I would just not like to see another parent go through what I went through. And, and I agree with you. Miss Natasha, you want to add to this? No, um, for me, I just think, um, again, it goes all back to parenting, right? After when I lost my son, Akil, it was so easy just to allow Rashawn and Christopher to allow people to get into their head. My son is 15 now. You know, people could have been getting into his head and say, hey, we know a way we can get back the person who killed Akil, but that is not what I wanted for my son. I chose, you know, to motivate him, show up at parent-teacher conference, you know, because I want him to know that he has a future. My youngest son, he's 10, but when he was five, he was so angry after losing Akil. And what I did with my youngest son, I turned that pain and anger into action. My son is now 10 years old. He has been the junior ambassador for Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America and Every Tongue for Gun Safety. And he's only 10, but he has, you know, he has found a way to make a difference. He's been out there advocating against senseless gun violence. We have to, you know, as parents, we have to find something for our children to do. I know there's no resources, and I'll be the first one to tell you I can't I couldn't find anything when I lost my son but I did not give up I'm a proud mother I love my children they come first and I want them to know they you know they can be anything that they want to be they can be the next president of the United States of America if that's what they choose so we as parents, we just have to do better. You know, I know it isn't easy because it isn't easy for me, but I choose not to give up. And I, the easiest thing is to give up. 
And it's not one way, um, Tyler, to prevent. You know, what Alice says, I love what she says. You know, when my son was, um, was murdered and, you know, all the thoughts of what I wanted to do, the first thing that popped into my head was to work with, with mothers. I wanted a multipurpose center. That was the first thing. And I wanted all these women to come and to speak about whatever they're going through. And at the same time, I have somewhere for the children to do something else that would take them off the street. Now, I, it didn't go that way. I said, one of the things I said, what makes a mother happy? What makes a mother happy? And I said, if their children are mm -hmm. good, then they are good. Mm -hmm. And that's how I came mm -hmm. up with um, providing scholarship, clothing, food, school supply, etc. To, to school and graduation, clothes, and, and all of that. So I came that way. But at the same time, my aim was to do that. Now, what Ali said is good. That's, that's the mother. You talk about preventing that. We can't stop kids to be born. We can't stop the wild one in the school. We can't do that. But if Alice could give out those hats in the school to a mother who can say, oh, that lady gave us a heart. If I can give a student a scholarship, if Natasha can go into a school and talk about what gun violence is doing, and the many other people, what, what Diana just said that they are doing, and the many other people that's doing something touches, then I believe that we are working in the right way for prevention. But we don't have n no say to say to these kids that um, you shouldn't go out there and have kids. We tell them, do they listen? Um, I know in school they talk about bird control, they talk about this. Do they listen? You know, they, they want, I was talking to a mother the other day on the phone and 11 something, or she said the kid was saying she's going to the movie. 11 something in the night, the young girl just said she broke up with her boyfriend and then she has some other boyfriend. I know for a fact that that parent is teaching her correctly. But she can't touch her because she says she's 18 and they have threatened her over the years to call the cops on her and um, call ACS all the time. It left something you going out to go to, to what, I mean, what, what you doing? You know, um, I walk, I work, used to work with, um, with people that have um, chronic, chronic what, what I should say, chronic disease. And one of the things I see with young men is this. They see a pretty girl, mm -hmm. and they get so happy, like their heads spin backward. <laughs> and I'm like, you have no idea what that person has. Mm -hmm. Amen. You have no idea. So again, you go there, you get something, and you spread it. It's the same thing with the gun violence. They go into having these friends, that, that they know carry guns and they're not saying anything because they want to be hip. They want to be in it. They want to be cool. And that's what it is. Now, our role, or I should say my role, is to do what I'm doing. Still talking. Still handing out my cards to the mothers out there, to the young men. Still saying, you can do better. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. The ladies can still do what they're doing. But can the four of us in this room stop it? Nah. Nah. 
Again, Miss Maxine, I have something. Oh. <laughs> Again, Miss Maxine, I have something to ask you. But when are we going to start holding these parents accountable? You know, like as a social worker, right? Are you making some excuses for some of these parents? You know, because again, parent. Okay, I wanted my child. I wanted my kids, and I love my kids. Alice loved her children. You love Carlton. Diana loved her children, and we do our best, right? We make sure that they are they. Because sometimes I'm on the train. Put it like this, and I see some kids, and I'm saying. They're in Jordans and they fully decked off. But are their grades matching what they're wearing? Mm. Because parents are rewarding bad behavior. Mm -hmm. And I don't do that. So again, when are we going to stop making excuses for some of these parents who are putting up with the bad behavior? You said something before, Natasha, about fathers not knowing what that father went through with their father. So it's, it, it, it comes down. It's hereditary. Oops, I'm not saying wrong word on it. You know, it's 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 it follows from generation to generation. So that parent may not know how to raise a child, and then that child that become a parent wasn't raised properly. So they're going to demonstrate the same raising, the same what they got. So that's what it is. It's not about and again. You have to start from the root. So if you find a parent who is willing to say, I'm going through this. And let me tell you something. What a parent go through or what someone go through at age 40, it didn't just start. It starts from when they were a child. So let me ask you a question. When you say it starts from the root, what, what part of the root are we talking about? Because Are we talking about when a when person, the mom, becomes a young mother or before she even becomes a mother? Even before she becomes a mother. So, she so that would be prevention, into, right? She walks into motherhood. So what mother are you? What father are you? And I know we talk a little on fathers not being in the home or being in the home and not being a father. You know, there's a lot of fathers in the home that say, you wait until your mother come home. So they don't do the father thing. And there's a lot of fathers who are not in the home. And yes, but that doesn't say that they should not have a relationship Amen. with their child, not because they are not in their home. We're not saying that, but we're taking it back to <laughs> prevention. So what, what are these prevention? See, nobody gave me prevention methods. We're talking about passing out hats and going to talk. We've been talking forever. Like, what are the tangible, actual methods that we're going to use for we prevention? We need more love in our, in our, in love our neighbors. We need to That's unite. There's not enough unity. I mean, I can go out there in the, in the streets and be out there in the streets talking and, and handing out hats and buttons and, and whatever. But you know what? If there's no unity, how are we going to make it? Because there is really no unity. There's a lot of competition, though. I don't think you're going to get a responsible parent because they received a button or a hat. I'm just being honest. It, it's deeper than that. Oh, definitely. And, and, it, and what I'm trying to get from you four ladies is, can you give me one prevention method that would really work? I can throw out a bunch, but I just want to hear what you guys think well, in terms of well, a prevention well, method that works I think we are besides talking. I, I but you see, that's how action gets into mm -hmm. it. We have to talk. Mm -hmm. We have to talk. Action with, without, without, without action, without, what should I say? With, 
you can't do action without talking. Well, so, so talking is like prayer without work. It's dead. Well, so what, well, what's the work? So this is the work that I'm doing that I know is working. I know that I'm working with young people who have been bullied, who have told me that they, they wanted to be in a gang. They were chosen to be in a gang. And I've worked with that young man. Um, that young man said he was told to go out and steal, sell drugs. We grab him up. And I'm going to tell you what we did. We grab up that young man. We went into his home. We asked his guardian at the time to sign a consent for us to work with him. We went into his school. We provided him right through the year with school clothes. Every Christmas, I think you have to picture of that young man. One year getting a whole big old basket of clothes. That's what we did for him. From, from underwear right down to shoes. That means he didn't have to go out there to those drug dealers that want him to sell those drugs to buy school clothes. He wanted a basket body. He called me on the phone. I walk him over to Moldes. He chose his own basketball. Whatever he needs to eat, we, we could give it to him. Whatever bag he needs, we give it to him. So we did a lot of those. When he when his, his, his parent is is guardian said, I don't want him anymore in, the, in my house, Miss Lewis. I don't want him anymore. I asked my husband, can we take him in? Can we take this young man in? Because we see him going out there on the street. Mm. My husband said, sure. We, we, I went to him. I said, listen, this is situation. I'm going to put it to you. What can we do? This we want to take you. We want you to come and live with. He said, oh, Miss Lewis, you've been such a mother to me, but I'd rather live with, with, with a, a blood relative. I know where my uncle is. I saw him on Facebook. I'm going to reach out. I said, reach out and let him call me. The uncle called me up. We talked. The, the guardian said, I want this young man out like ASAP. They put him on a bus just like that and sent him to Pennsylvania. I call up Pennsylvania, speak with the uncle. This young man graduated high school in college. That was prevention. That was prevention. And if you don't see it, Tyler, no. I'm going to give you my glasses. <laughs> that was prevention. That was very helpful. But what I'm speaking about is before that kid even needs to be in that situation where he has to go to somebody on the outside. We know there will be cases like that. But I'm talking as far as kids being raised properly by their biological parents to the point where kids don't need that kind of support from people like you and your organization who offer that. How do we minimize that, meaning the two parents in the home are doing the right thing? We need to work to get that right, and then we don't need so much of those services. And then we can use what you have to offer for other things that may be more important because we don't have these kids who need it. So the prevention is to prevent that kid from being in that situation. And that's what I'm talking about. What, what resources, what programs, what are we coming up with our thoughts and ideas to prevent that kid from having to be in that situation? We're not going to stop every kid from being in that situation. But there's a lot of kids who are in that situation and need that situation. And we have to fix that. Right. So when I speak about prevention, I'm talking about by not getting to that point. When I was talking to you and your daughter and you was telling me about what happened, 
we got that, but I was trying to not have that ever happen. So what's the prevention method for us not having to work with a kid like that? Well, one of the other thing is, Tyler, can we go into the home of these parents and sit down with them to say, we need a mother, we need a father. We need you yeah. to be the parent of this child. We need you to raise him this way or her mm-hmm. that way. That's the prevention. So now, I'm as a mother who had three children. So when my 16-year-old son that died um, was growing up, I remember people talking about dysfunction families if there's not a man in the home and i told my three kids how a family is not dysfunction Mm -hmm. no way whatsoever because you have a mother and you have a father he may not be living with us Mm -hmm. but you do have one of the things that i did for my children and as natasha said it i was part of their life in everything that they did school I took time off from work to spend with them. We go to church. We did everything together because I did not want any one of my children to be a statistic, although my 16-year-old son <laughs> became one. Am I talking too loud? No, you're fine, but, but I just want to know what a method is because I'm, I'm getting the story about what you do personally, but I'm talking about as a community, as a country. What, what methods? All right, vote. Maybe. But what what methods are there? Right. You vote for who? Who's running? Who are we running that represents us and what we need? Somebody vote against somebody or run yourself. You can run yourself. Exactly. That's fine. But we still need to know what what you represent. What's your platform? How are you going to fix the community? They are lacking resources in these communities. In these communities, there's no resources for these young people. Okay, there's nothing for these young people to. There is no more after school programs. There's nothing. Everything was taken away. Libraries closed. What, three, no. four days a week? Well, I've, I've been a part of an after-school program where they have like 300 kids in the program, and a lot of kids don't want to come. A lot of kids are going into the office to call their mommies if they can go home, and some of the mothers are saying, yeah, come home, and when a kid comes home, it's video games and cereal, but they don't want to be in the programs. In the after-school programs, they're offering career um, career paths in different programs from photography to robotics to arts and crafts to dance to guitar playing. There's a lot of different things happening in the program and the kids don't even take advantage of the program because it's after school. So they're disrespectful to some of the instructors in the program. That again comes from parenting. So I, I want that kid to come in the classroom or at least 90% of these kids coming in the classroom like you may see in a private school where these kids are more respectful and they're more respectful because the parents are paying for that. So the kids know they're not going to mess that up where this public education is free mm-hmm. and the kids think differently. But those are those prevention methods I'm talking about. It starts with before that baby's even born, who are these, who are these people that are going to make this baby? What classes do we have for them? Mandatory classes. What courses are they taking? You know, where are they going to visit? Pri- women in prison, things like that, that everyone should be engaged in so they can see what it is. But and then how many babies are we going to allow to be born out of wedlock with different fathers, fathers who are in jail before the baby even comes, mm-hmm. and then we're giving them money to, to sustain them and we're giving them free housing? No, that has to stop. But we're not the government, and that's what We are the government. Our taxes well, pay for the government. We vote these people in. We can control this if we run it the way we want it to be run. We don't vote. We don't run anybody to vote. So, no, maybe I'm, you're right. Maybe we ain't because we don't participate well, in it. 
No, no, I've been in this country over 30 years. And yes, I've been, I've voted. And from I came here in this country, I've seen Medicaid. I've seen welfare. I've seen all of that. I didn't know what it was. People have been getting it forever and ever because they do not work. Yes, they have some where they have changed up a little to um, in terms of the the PA where you go back to school or something. Again, there are those families that don't want anything but, but that. I, my personal opinion, I don't think I can prevent that. I can bring what information I have to someone to, to encourage, to motivate. But again, I don't think me, one, have the power in anything to prevent certain things. I know what I'm doing. I feel that it have helped. I feel there is a preventive measure in it, and it have helped. But I don't think it's just one person that has that role to do that prevention. I think what you're doing does have a prevention method in it because that boy that you worked with, maybe he'll grow up knowing how to be responsible because you guys helped him, right? And, and that's fine. That's part of it. But I, I want to get them at a younger age. You that's know, what that, we're and that's, that's what, what I'm talking doing. about. That's what we're and how, doing. And it's not easy when the whole system is corrupted. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? Like that. How, how, how is the whole system yeah. corrupted? <laughs> oh, gosh. Did you not just hear what I told you about? How the, is the whole system the corrupted? The system is so corrupted, just like Maxine says. Like, um, ACS is allowed to come in and take away your children. We have these politicians... Okay, like you say, you go out and vote, right? They come into your community and promise that they're going to do this and do that. And then when they get into office, they never do nothing. I'm so sick and tired of seeing a liquor store in every corner in the urban community. I am just so sick and tired of that. Can we not? Like two weeks ago, I went to Williamsburg. I've never been on that side of Williamsburg. And I couldn't even believe there wasn't a corner store in every corner. Mm -mm. Why is that? Different neighborhood. Well, we if it's if it's in our neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. do, do we run our neighborhood? Can we control our neighborhood? Yes. So if the liquor store is in the neighborhood, do we have to buy from the liquor store? I don't buy. Not you no, personally. No, no, this is never personal. No, but no, in right, general, yeah. do we have no. to buy from the liquor store? All right. So you can boycott the liquor store. You can get the community community members not to buy from the liquor store. People are going to drink alcohol, right. but you don't have to have them over consume. You can be out there doing something if you wanted to. As far as the politicians being corrupt, um, did you guys run any of these politicians? Did you create a super PAC and endorse a politician? <laughs> no, you did not. So that's what you get. So you're voting for whatever's out there and you don't even know what that is. Mm -hmm. So. If you get more involved in the political system, that will change as well. When you look at your economics, a lot of us are poor in poor communities. You said the kids are wearing the J's. Mm -hmm. The kids could be investing that money in a college education or the parents, but they're not because the parenting ain't right. So there's a lot of things that are happening in our community that are caused by outside entities. But everything starts at home. But at the same time, it starts with us, yeah. right? Economics is the first thing. Education is the second thing. Mm -hmm. Like if we have something to pass down, the kids have something to look forward to, but we pass nothing down to our children. That day, starts with the parents. From school. <laughs> they don't do those things anymore. Prepare you to know what financing is about. You bring your little $2 or your 50 cents, it goes in your, your savings account. You get your little book at the end of the year, you know, and uh, they probably made lots and lots of money on defaulted accounts because I probably don't even know 10 people 
that really ever got their funds, even if it was just $100. But back in the day, they did those things. So it's, like you said, it's about preparation. And a lot of what our communities are lacking is the resources. And you get it. Somebody comes in wielding a sword. Oh, they dropping money. And by the next season, they pull the rug. The money's gone. It's reallocated in a different area. They're rezoning Bushwick. Hmm. East New York is the next up-and-coming community. The bodegas have glass from top to bottom now. You can see all the way through the store, but when we were the only ones in the community, they had all the, what's that, those beer signs, everything splattered all over. You couldn't even see. You have to start your own businesses. You talk about economics. If you have more economic programs in the school, the kids can understand money, and then they can understand how they can't raise a kid because they ain't making no money. That minimum wage isn't going to get it cut. Unless you're living in public housing or on Section 8. There's no resources. Tyler, you uh, keep saying, you know, I, I disagree. There, there are resources. They might are. be allocated improperly, it's right? When you spend in half, reach these kids when we spend in, hold on, when we spend in half our federal <laughs> budget on military, when we don't need that, you can take 25% of that, which is like trillions, and you can allocate that. There are resources out there. It's how the resources are being spent. Okay, so now you can tell that to the president. And again, our community, <laughs> ha- our community, don't re- rarely seize those resources because I have known community <laughs> advocates out there who have been wanting to put programs into these community and never get the resources. And yeah. some of the resources come from us, right? We need to take our own monies, pull that together, and create our own resources. We can all work together, pull our money, and create an after-school center. We can buy a property, we can rent a property, and we can create something with oh, a kid. We can. And we can create something where the kids go to. There, there so, is money in the black community. Yeah, yes, Tyler. Uh, you know. But so, Tyler, but can, can, can you be real? Come on. We're talking about the president <laughs> of you. the United States. Tyler, Come on. Ha, you, have, you see what's going you on. Ever, you know. You I'm see sh- the news. Right? I'm sure you heard of Dr. Joyce DeGray Leary's um, syndrome, post-traumatic stress syndrome. Yes, I have. You, you've heard that? Yep. And I think a lot of our community are dealing with just those things. Like, it's <laughs> systemic. And it just falls and boils over. So, I mean, it sounds like, you know, a great plan. Resources is out there. But as we were saying earlier, a lot of our community, there's there's people in the community that's never been outside that community. You know, they shop in the community. They go to the hospital in that community. The schools are in that community. So... I mean, it, it's getting the information in there and getting them out to the PTA meetings and, and getting them out to the vigils and not even because, oh, now it's the next teenager or, or young person that's that's gunned down, but because we want to take our community back. So for four years, about four years, I um, in my community, I met with the senator for four years asking for help for my foundation. For four years and never got any. And the last thing that I know, there was this big thing. People were calling me left and right. If I saw the newspaper, Mm. if I saw the newspaper where the senator was arrested or something Mm -hmm. like that. So four years, four years, four years. I visited him. I Mm -hmm. talked with him, sit with him in front of him, stand with him, asking for help. None, none, none. 
So, so the next thing that I did now, after speaking with the mayor at the town hall meeting, he directs me, a young lady came, he said, you go to your councilman. I went to my councilman, sat with him, and he said to me, even before that, I apply for a discretionary fund, um, funds, and um, I got a letter saying we cannot give it to you. The young lady said to me, you're not going to get it. They don't know you. Mm-hmm. I went and I sat with the councilman. He repeated it. We don't know you, so we can't just give you money like that because we don't know you. Mm-hmm. So now I voted prior to that. I did everything in the community, which I believe that I should do as a good citizen, and I still can't get anything. And you are saying we can do this, we we can do that? What, now, n- what I would say to you is <laughs> one man don't stop the show. So if you're not getting resources from that one man, there's other ways to go around that. And you could have ran against him, right? He's saying we don't know you, but if you feel like everybody in my community knows me, well, now you got the community that can back you, and you could have ran against him. Well, I'm doing something now. I'm working more Maybe. closely with the community. I'm working more closely with the community and although he said he didn't know me, now he, he knows who I am. He knows what I'm doing. So hopefully he will help. But it's not easy as you think it is, Tyler. Yes. Maybe if it's easy for you, maybe you should show us. Uh, off when you come off the air, tell us what you're exactly doing what you that we can get these help. We're going to put you on the spot because you're making it sound like money falling out of trees. I'm, I'm not saying it's easy. What I'm saying is, so tell I, us. I feel like I'm hearing a lot of excuses. Oh, there's no excuses. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. Finish the only hear me excuse out. is come. Finish hear me oh out. I feel goodness. like I'm hearing excuses as to why certain things can't get done. And what I'm trying to do is just give you ideas and other alternatives to try to help you get something then done. Then you should run. So it's not to say, well, it's I not that easy. We know it's not that easy, but you can run. But, but Tyler, I don't That's think... That's a fact. She can run for office. Right. I suppose she doesn't want to be a politician. Right. Yeah, I don't want to be a Like I said, you can fund somebody who stands on with your point. <laughs> you can create a super PAC with someone who stands with your point, and you can run that person. So at the end of the day, you can compete against the person who you say is not helping you. You don't just sit there and say, oh, well, I'm not getting help. You but, can fight but no, that. But we still we still we still working. Go. But Tyler, I think I don't think there is excuse in this room because all these women that sit in in this room are doing something. It may Unfortunately, it, it, our politicians it may not, aren't. It may not be it may You're not right. be what you think it should be, but we are doing something. And I feel that what I'm doing is good. I see where it's benefiting. I see where it's preventing. And I see where it's it's leading people to places. And I believe that the ladies on my right feel the same way. So so we are doing something. I've been supporting Maxine events for years. For so years. We, we know Maxine is definitely <laughs> out there helping yes. and doing some things. So before we wrap this up, why don't you tell people about your organization and how they can help? Yes. So... The Carlton Laxley Bennett Foundation, um, what we do is our mission, our mission is to provide scholarship, tuition, school clothes, prom clothes, school supplies 
to students that's graduating from high school. Not only students that's graduating from high school, but we are also working with the elementary school. We're also working with junior high school as well. And we have assisted many, many students with books, or our student in with books. One of the things that we used to do before, Tyler, was we just used to randomly give scholarship to students. And then when we partnership with an organization and they said, what's the follow-up for how these students that you have been given money, how are they? And we couldn't get an answer from maybe two students out of the many that we have given. So we decided, you know what, this is how we're going to do it. We are going to work with this student at least one year. But we want the mother, we want the parents to be involved because we realize that without the parents, something may not work. Now, this is one of the things you'll be shocked. Most of those parents don't want to be involved. They don't have no time for it. So that now take us out of that loop to say, we can't just go hand money to students and we can't get a follow-up. We call, oh, I'll call you back. Um, they're not here. I'm working. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So right now, the road that we are taking, which is good, we have the student that we like. We want more students. And the, the parents now is helping. When we see, we, 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 we do not try to push them. And sometimes I feel, um, even last year, that with some parents, I was pushing too much, always calling, always asking, come out, let the kid come out to this event, let mm -hmm. they come to the training. So we stopped doing that. We stopped pushing like that. You know, so we are encouraged the, the student. We have some new, at least three new leadership member in our team just started last year. Um, and I can say a big hello to them. Talia Aiken, Star Aiken, and Moses Robinson. He's going to be one of our mentors as well. And we like that. They come in and they said, you know what? We need to get more young people in. We need to be more involved. We need mm -hmm. to do. These are 14, 15, and 18-year-old is telling us this. So that's what we're doing right now. We have the mentorship program that we started in 2011, um, Taking Back Your Kids. And then we do something also for the mothers as well, a pre-Mother's Day dinner, what we call I Rise, and all the mothers come down, come out very, um, what should I say, beautiful. You know, Tyler, you have to take pictures as well. And what we are saying to, the, to everyone about these mothers, these are strong women. These are women that could have flipped upside down, could have jumped off some building, I was one of those mothers that want to hand it all. But we want to show our strength that here we are losing our loved one and we can stand up and support each other. You know, these women are my friends. In fact, Natasha say I'm mother. Mm -hmm. I'm her mother. So we, we have this bond and these are what we're doing. So as you say, how can we help? We need help. We need new members. We need financial help with our students in helping them. We have one young man graduating this year um, from high school, and we really want to help him um, as much as we can. And our 2017 Mother's Dinner, we need sponsors for that. And Natasha has been a big help with that. She have 
being part of the um the team that puts it that puts it together so we we do need help we do need help well for me what i've been doing is i just been advocating for my daughter and keeping her memory alive i haven't started an organization yet i'm still thinking because you know what anything is possible I've been sitting with an EIPIN number for a little bit over a year, so I'm just like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? But it's it's the, it's the support. If you don't have the support system, how are you going to get things done? You know what I mean? So, Okay. Um, my Okay, I have on Facebook a page called Caps for Cams, and on that page I share information about the community, any incidents of shootings, murders, any outreach programs, any uh, job applications, and so forth, community news and stuff. And that's where I'm starting, but eventually I want it to progress and to be um, like a, a, a bridge for the community, so to speak. So Caps for Cams on Facebook. And me, I have my organization called Akil Christopher Community Center, which I've been partnering up with Miss Magazine every year to do the Mother's Day, um, pre-Mother's Day dinner. Um, and that organization, hopefully one day I'll get a space where I can have a center to provide mm-hmm. tutoring for young siblings, you know, and mentoring for kids and um, what i'm doing right now um i advocate so i advocate against senseless gun violence i am a survivor engagement lead for every town for gun safety and mom's demand action so i'm busy because i you know i travel i go out to speak i you know it's all about me passing common sense gun law so i work with them because i believe in that course which is trying to keep guns from getting into our communities exactly all right. I want to thank you, ladies, for a wonderful show. It was very passionate, and I do appreciate the passion. All the information that the ladies stated as far as their Facebook, their websites, the organizations that they're part of and what they do, the links will be at the in, at the, in the description box. So you guys can uh, check on those links, and hopefully you will donate your time, your energy, your money, your resources to the ladies, to their organizations, so they can do bigger and better things in our community. So I want to thank you ladies for joining the Black Pill Radio Show. And until then, see you next week.